Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, this week we have an example of how F1 applies to the real world. Because, you know, way too often we hear that Formula One, it's not road relevant. It has no ties to, you know, anything. So we have this week an example of how Formula One was relevant to the real world. I'm really wondering how you're going to make a relevance comment to what happened this past weekend. Actually, yesterday. Yes. Well, it it was a a Formula One philosophy that we were able to apply to a real-world experience. So are you going to tell anybody what this real-world experience is, or are you going to make them all guess? Well, we'll we'll set the stage here. Uh, Yesterday at the local science museum here in Cleveland, uh, they held a family event, which we we took part in as part of uh, some programs that the boy goes to every other week. And as a culminating piece of their family event, they typically have some kind of a design and engineering challenge, which we were so hopeful that for once, we would not end up having to drop an egg. Well, we didn't have to drop an egg. It still involved an egg. (laughs) Well, as the director says, they do keep the local egg farmers in business. Yes. Well, instead of the normal drop the egg from the third floor and see if it survives with bubblegum tape and a couple of plastic cups, Mm -hmm. this was take the egg and it was going to go down a Story and a, a makeshift story and a half long ramp um, needed to survive in, in essentially a car type vehicle. Well, they said build a car is what they that was the instruction. True. Build a car to protect the egg. Oh, and it went down a story and a half flight of stairs. Um, With a little bit of a landing so that if you caught enough speed, you could catch air. Right. And ended in a crash into a piece of plexiglass. Yes. Now, the key thing, a couple of key things here. One, speed, obviously important. It was a race. Oh, yes. You had um, to be the fastest with an egg intact. So, speed was important here. Your egg had to be intact because if your egg broke, you were disqualified. Right. And if you managed to go fast enough that you caught air, there was a reduction in your time. Correct. We were given a baggie of supplies. This was family-oriented, so all three of us, the bloke, the bird, and the boy, all competed together. We were given a bag of supplies. It had some wooden uh, burnished wheel-looking things, circular discs. They they were wheels that were laser cut out of some wood. Um, There was some cardboard wheel-esque things. Some straws, some tongue depressors bottle caps, an assortment of rubber bands. An assortment of rubber bands and um, bamboo skewers. Yes. Then there was a table of common supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Oh, and there was a meter of tape, gaffer tape. Two strips of tape. Yeah, but a total of a meter. Okay. Um. So we began, as every other team did, by building a basic car-like shape. Now, the problem with this is that, as they rather quickly explained to us, you made your wheels out of cardboard. If you made your wheels out of either cardboard or the wood, you had no traction, which meant you rapidly went spinning out of control. Correct. 
So I had this great idea to take the rubber bands and create tread, basically, yeah. on the wheels. The problem is that the rubber bands kept slipping off the wheels because they, you know, weren't bonded. <laughs> um, so that became an issue. So as I fought with that, you were in egg protection mode building. Yes. And found a bin full of the cores of tape rolls. Because so, unfortunately we couldn't get it. I was actually looking for tape. Found bins of tape roll cores. Duct tape. The wider duct yes. tape. Yes. So grabbed a couple of those, crunched them up so that, you know, it made a nest for the egg to, to sit in. And as we were starting to run out of time, realized that they didn't really define what a car looked like. Just that this had to go down the hill. And, oh, by the way, duct tape cores roll. They do. And they roll really well if you take the larger of the rubber bands and wrap it around the outside, thus creating the tread-like structure I was trying to do on these stupid little wooden wheels. Mm -hmm. All the time, the boy is working on figuring out how to really stuff and secure the egg inside this duct tape cardboard nest. So the final construction is we took our tape that we had, our, our bit of tape, and we wrapped the egg. Yes. That way, you know, it provided some level of crack camouflage, <laughs> sealant, uh, <laughs> We also went with a thing of it could crack, but as long as it didn't leak, leak, they wouldn't notice that it cracked. Uh huh. Um, so we duct taped the egg. So our egg went from it was black gaffer tape. So our egg became a black egg in the middle of our nest. Mm -hmm. And then um, we wrapped it in a plastic bag. Because we have been to the Science Center long <laughs> enough to know that no eggs should be dropped without being encased in a Ziploc bag. Or more importantly, we've broken enough eggs at the Science Center. <laughs> <laughs> um, this becomes important later um, when a couple of teams who did not wrap their leave their egg inside the baggie um, exploded their eggs all over the track. <laughs> yeah. D d there was a wet track experience at one point. Yes. <clears throat> However, yeah. race started, cars are going off, ours went down. We were the only one that came up with the design of using the tape core. We were the only less than four-wheel design. Yes. The average time was about three seconds, mm -hmm. some going as many as four because – they um, could and not five. make it f five seconds because they couldn't make it down the ramp. Um, a couple of two-second ones, except for ours, which broke the two-second barrier. Yes. Soundly broke the two-second barrier. We were a full second ahead of everybody else. Correct. <laughs> and our egg was protected and undisturbed in its little nest. Yes. It wasn't even a shaken egg. So we will probably be sharing the video of our championship racing run. And to, to tie this back to Formula One, it wasn't just that this was a race. Is We took the Formula One uh, design logic. Or ethos. The ethos, as it were. As espoused by both Adrian Newey and Nikki Lauda. Of you find the edge of the rules and then you push as much as you can without actually breaking them. Exactly. 
So when we walked up to the um, to the line, everybody looked at our design and was like, that's really good. You're right. They didn't say that we had to have four <laughs> wheels. And, you know, wheels staying on was always an issue. That's what we were fighting originally. We built our egg car in the last five minutes of the timed portion. Yeah. And soundly trounced everyone because we used an iterative design. We were testing and we pushed the edge of the limits. And in fact, we realized that the only piece of the provided materials that we used were two bottle caps and the tape. And the bag. Well, and the bag itself. <laughs> yes. I mean, there, there was a little wind tunnel testing. Yes, there was. I, I still hold that if they had given us more time in the wind tunnel and, and lifted the limits on computational fluid dynamics testing, we would have been that much faster. We might have broken the one-second barrier. We were, we were only um, 13 hundredths of a second off. We were 13 tenths. was 1.14 seconds was our final number. But here's the thing. Okay. I've been thinking about this. I think that if we had added a second egg, we would have done better. Because our egg was off center in its rotational weight. And we needed an extra balancing weight. And I think we would have gone straight and gone faster. We could have done it with two eggs. Maybe next time. We might have needed more. I tape. don't think we're going to get invited back next time. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling they are retiring our team. That might be. So let, let's actually, you know, Formula One started. So let's actually talk about Formula One. <gasps> yes. The first thing to point out is if you thought that this race was shorter than normal, it turns out it was. I was very sad by that. You know, I waited so many months for Formula One. And you know what I didn't get? I didn't get a rain delay. I didn't get a <laughs> you safety didn't, you car. You didn't get a safety car. I didn't even get the the network uh, panning over to the birds standing on the side of the track because there was some sort of delay. And I got a short race. But, I feel like I was denied the F1 experience. But you know what you did get? An extra formation lap. No, you got the camera panning. Well, you got a formation lap too, but you also got the camera panning across a couple of hoodlums spray painting a wall. Yes, I did. <laughs> that made no sense to me. No sense at all. Beyond the spray-painted wall, the artists. Why did we have an extra formation lap? Oh, we started well, but, with how, why we're short. Why we're short. Um, the race lasted just one hour, 24 minutes, and 11.672 seconds, which was actually four seconds off the shortest ever race held in Australia, which was back in 2004. Wow. Now, some of that was, as you mentioned, we had an extra formation lap. Yes. Um, what actually happened there, there, were, there was two separate points of concern for race control that caused the delay, or the 
start the delayed start and the extra formation lap because I think it was technically called a delayed start. There was some confusion over whether or not the field was ready to start. You know, the first thing that happened was a marshal near Daniel Kvyat's uh, car indicated a problem and triggered the yellow light panel while the grid was still assembling. However, race control could not see what the marshal was alerting them to, but they had noticed that Sergio Perez had failed to pull into his correct starting position of 10th and began repositioning his Force India. Now, Daniel Kvyat was in 9th, so you had that whole mix going on over there. Um, but it was in this moment of uncertainty over whether there was one or two separate problems on the grid, race control de decided to delay the start in the interest of safety. Always safety. And because of that, the field was sent around on a second formation lap. However, as all the drivers were able to pull away and continue, no driver was held responsible for delaying the start, and therefore no one was required to start the race from the pit lane. Ah. Okay. Well, that was good to know, because I thought there was there was talk of whether or not, because somebody did not start, it was Ricardo. Well, Dan Daniel Ricardo did not start. And so there was question as to whether or not somebody had pulled up into his space. Yeah. Um, you know, there was just confusion as to why we took off again into a formation lap. So it's good to know that it was not that, but it was some concern between the marshal and the Sergio being Sergio. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but okay. I'm down on Sergio and you know it. Yeah. But you like so, his car. Yeah, because it's pink. Mm -hmm. There was, there was much cheering about the pink car. <laughs> um... <clears throat> I won't be a Force India fan because of the pink car, but I dig the pink car. I have to tell you, the grid looked really bright and colorful this year. It was really nice. I mean, it there were some key livery things that were nice to watch in the race. You could pick out individual cars, not necessarily individual drivers. But you could get to the team, mm -hmm. which means you were 50-50 chance of being right. Yep. But the fact that Toro Rosso looked nothing like Red Bull. They look sharp on that grid, by the way. That blue and the silver yes. looks sharp. You've got the bright orange of the McLaren. you got the hot pink of Force India. you got That's Team... That's not hot pink. That's well, a pale pink. Pepto pink, but okay. Yeah. Um, but you have, you know, I went more for the hot, like, not hot pink as a color, but hot as in it was a hot car. Got that it. That was where I was going with that. Um, you have that. You have Team Rotten Banana. Um, with their black and yellow combination. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, you want to call them Gordon's Fisherman. Well, that's um, what the driver suits make them look like. Yeah, but are his pants black or are they, they their yellow? Their pants are yellow. From the waist down, they have yellow pants. I thought they were the other way around. I thought they were no. yellow tops with black pants. No. Oh, no. <sighs> that's even worse. I do hate their driver's <laughs> uniforms. Um I just think that the grid is a good-looking grid this year. Well, one of those colorful cars. There are many that I just mentioned. One of their drivers has commented. About the colors? No, Fernando Alonso's oh. talking about the overall race performance. Now, he was, much to everybody's shock and surprise, running in 10th place for a good part of the race and looked like he was going to finish in the points and get the team a point um didn't happen though but the post commentary was how well fernando pushed that car and drove it above its its limit 
you know, outperformed the car. Well, that's what that's what Fernando is known for, mm-hmm. um, and that's why so many people talk about Fernando the way they do of him being such a, a great driver is because he does get a car to outperform how its ex- its expectations. But what Fernando had to say. Uh, first off, he explained what caused the stop. He said there was a, a suspension failure at the end, um, and that's what stopped the race. But overall, he said he had been driving strongly up to that point. And I think some of this is legitimate mm-hmm. in his comments, and some of it, I think, was, was him screwing around. Okay. You'll see what I mean in a moment. He said, it was feeling good. I think I was driving one of my best races so far. We were surprisingly in the points all the race long. Also, we had to do a huge fuel savings that was hurt, hurting us a lot, but we were able to keep the position. So as I said, it's a surprise to be so up, but at the end, we didn't finish, and definitely we need to be more competitive very soon. Okay, so he's a two-time world champion. Oh, I don't and think this meant- is his best race so far? I don't believe he meant of all time. I don't believe that. I believe he probably meant with McLaren Honda. Okay, maybe. In recent history. Yeah, that's, you know, that that's where I got to kind of really best race so far, Fernando. Seriously? Really? Well, you know, you could also argue pretty easily that since the expectation was that it was going to blow up into a fiery mess by lap two, um, that it was a, an incredible race for him. Well, you know, let, let's not think that Fernando thinks that everything is all rainbows and unicorns. Oh, he certainly does not. No, because he went on further to say that um, I think we're last. That's the performance we are now. We were 10th because the qualifying lap yesterday was extremely good. At the start, I was lucky to gain one position, and Grosjean's retirement gave us the second one. So I think in normal conditions on a normal circuit, we should be last and before last. (laughs) So, yeah, let's not get... Too excited by this. Don't get excited this. that this is an, a heralding of the return of Honda McLaren's power to the sport. But let's also not forget that Sauber is working really hard for that last place position. You know, with their last year's engine. Last year's Ferrari engine. Yeah. That cannot be upgraded. And so, Monisha, you know, our favorite team principal, um, has come out and said that the they are they know this engine. They feel confident that they can get into the points this year because they know this engine so well that they feel that they can build the car around it to compensate for its shortcomings. Yeah. The only way that they have a fighting chance here is through attrition. Mm-hmm. Really and truly. I mean, that's that's the reality. That's. But ha- the other piece is even if remember now that we are back down to ten teams, no matter what happens. Even if Sauber manages to not score a single point all season, no matter what Monisha says, they're going to come away with prize money this year. Well, they'll be 10th. But I don't 
No, because we were 10 teams prior, and I thought that no, that was... No, we were 11 teams. Well, not last year we were 11 teams, but the year before that we were only 10. And every team got prize money out of that. Did they? Yes, the 10th place team gets Manor? prize money. Yes. Okay. I thought that they had to have a point to get prize money. No, you, you just need to end up in 10th place. Okay. So if the, the last two... T- say there are 11 teams, and the last two teams don't score any points through the season it's the team with the better finishing positions right that that determine where that they end up okay so yeah despite all her delusions here they're gonna get prize money but they still need to earn points i mean that's the reality i mean they're not even going for best of the rest. They're if you going want for... sponsors, if you want to be a going concern, you can't target bringing Last. up the bottom. Right. And she needs sponsors, and they won't get sponsors unless they get points, because once they get points, they'll get some airtime because they got points, and then she can get some sponsors. But you're not going to move out of, you know, fighting for the the crumbs unless you can move the team up a bit well the question is if the team had say oh i don't know a 2018 honda engine would they do better depends is the 2018 (laughs) honda engine going to be better than a 2016 ferrari engine who knows actually it probably will Will it be better than anything else on the grid? Will it even be on par with anything else on the grid in 2018? That's the question. Well, the thing is, as we saw in Melbourne, the 2016 Ferrari engine was not competing very well against the 2017 Honda engine. So at least if she got a 2018 Honda engine, perhaps she could at least fight with McLaren. For depending the back on of the grid. well see that that's where things get really interesting and and where this whole discussion is coming from is it Sauber can you know we heard last week that um Honda said that they were talking to another team about an engine supply right. and that was potentially in response to uh McLaren confirming that they had gone to talk to Mercedes about an engine supply never mind that this was a 10-year deal that we're only three years into and there's a lot of money involved in all of that well fast forward to this week and Sauber comes out and confirms that they were the team that Honda was talking to about an engine deal ah now what we don't know is whether this is an engine supply deal as another customer team or an engine supply deal as Honda's new works team. Because if McLaren decides to throw up their hands and walk away from Honda, Honda would want a works team. And the benefit to being the works team is you get all the Honda sponsorship dollars and you get a free en- you get free engines. True, and that could propel you up with the money situation. Um Keeping in mind that Honda has also come out in this last week and talking about how they're doubling down on their Formula One um, research and development. 
Well, of course they're going to say that. If they're concerned that McLaren's going to walk away. And th- the other thing you got to wonder about this whole McLaren, yes, there's a lot of money involved. And, and we've heard estimates that this is as much as 50% of McLaren's operating budget, the amount of money that's coming in. I mean, it's a lot of money that's involved here. It's a lot of money, and that money could change hands to go to Sauber if they became the works team. But McLaren is so disappointed in the engines that they are willing to walk away from that money to go find something better. That's how bad this is Th- getting. That's how bad it is. And, and remember the whole reason why, and this was Ron Dennis's decision to go to Honda in the first place. If you remember what Ron, the, the whole reason why they moved it and, and what Ron said was the reason why they were leaving Mercedes after they were no longer, because originally they were the works team for Mercedes until Mercedes fielded their own team, to go to Honda was that Ron Dennis stood up and he said, a customer team will never win a championship when uh, for a manufacturer that has a works team. Correct. Because they will always be at a disadvantage. Right. So that was the whole reason for going to Honda in the first place. So now they're going to, just like everything else that they've done to de-ronify the team, they're, they're turn around and become a customer team for Mercedes. That's if Mercedes will sell them engines. I don't think that Mercedes wouldn't. As a matter of fact, unlike the Red Bulls, and never mind the fact that they've changed the rules to say that the teams can't decide that they're not going to supply another team for competitive reasons, I don't think that any of the teams are going to view McLaren as a threat to their program, to their works programs for at least three to five years. True. Easily. I mean, you're, you're not talking a Red Bull or somebody like that where, well, you know, if we only had good power, we'd crush you people. Well, there is that. There's definitely that part. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Over at Renault. Speaking of another works team. Uh, Jolian Palmer had a bit of an incident. Actually, he had a couple of incidents. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a great weekend for Jolian. But as a result of those incidents, he has requested that the team... Uh, give a full inspection to the car prior to the Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, he is concerned that there is some damage somewhere on it, and that is why he cannot control it. I might have broken your car. Your car, my car, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if it's broken, it's your car. If it's not broken, it's my car. But he, he is concerned about that. He has requested the team do a full inspection of it. Um also, Nico Hulkenberg and Julian Palmer were talked to the press, or, or were spoken to by the press, um, about the prospects for the season and, and, and the potential that they felt that the team had for the season. Both of them said the same thing. They both said that they believe that Renault has the potential and the capability to, before the end of the year, end up with the fourth best car on the grid. Now, on the one hand, way cool for being potentially realistic, and on the other, a medium? (laughs) (laughs) That's always a recipe for success. (laughs) Well, yeah, but okay, let's, they've. The top of the grid's pretty very set, you know, it's. Yeah. It's going to be Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull. 
sitting right there at the top. And then you got to aim for best of the rest. And I think fourth place is exactly where best of the rest is going to fall. Um, you know, whether it's Williams or Force India or Renault, where are they going to fall in that best of the rest when you know that McLaren and Sauber are going to be bringing up the rear? Well, Force India has said that uh, even going into the season that they didn't think that they could break into third. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hope was that Williams would be strong. But, you know, if I'm over at Renault, if I'm management over at Renault, and again, going back to Ron's comments that a customer team will not win when when the works has their own team, I would be rather upset over the fact that Red Bull is still out developing you and still coming up with a better chassis. Except for the problem. Red Bull has all of the harnessed rule edge bending power that is comprised of Adrian Newey. And Renault doesn't have that. Yeah. I mean... But they're a works team. So Just by the, the nature of being the works team doesn't make you the better of the teams. I'm sorry, but Renault has walked into this thing one hand tied behind their back. They're still trying to rebuild the Instone team. They're still trying to get the development of the chassis going. They might have the engine. They might understand their engine better than Red Bull does, but they don't understand the chassis. They're not there yet. I, I, I th- and and that, that's my issue. It, it's, it's not even necessarily that Red Bull is beating them. It's that they're not close to Red Bull. That's where I think at least that expectation should be, okay, fine, even if the customer team is beating you, be close to them. Be competitive with them. And they're not. And I find that this is an interesting piece of the puzzle that is F1. And truly, this is Mm -hmm. what sparks the way I think. You have a customer team and a works team. Both of them essentially have the same engine. Mm -hmm. But how they use that power... And lay that power down on the track is diametrically different. And what I'm seeing is they're not competing at the same level, which tells me that in this era of Formula One, design of the aero is just as important as the power on the engine. Oh, it definitely is. And Renault's behind on the design of their aero. And Red Bull is actually proving that aero is more important than that engine if they could get the power out of that engine that equaled the the power they're getting from the arrow they would handily beat mercedes every time well yes but keep in mind that that has never been the renault the renault engine hasn't been at least as long as we've been watching if not longer than that the renault engine has not been the most powerful engine on the grid no sebastian vettel's in the straights and faster in the corners yeah sebastian vettel's world championship wins in a renault powered car was because the aero design of that car compensated for the power deficiency that came from that engine always has And truly, I wonder if that's not some secret sauce here, that being faster in the corners, especially given the kind of corners that are in some of these tracks, as I'm reading more and more about the designs of these tracks, Mm -hmm. 
the corners and being faster in those corners, if that math doesn't work, that if you're faster in the corners, which is what Red Bull's yeah. philosophy has always been, you make up for the fact that you're slower in the straights. And maybe you can't balance it out that you can be faster in the straights and faster in the corners at the same time. Well, it's also not just faster in the corners. It's faster in the slow corners. Right. But I think that you cannot take what Ron Dennis says at face value. Well, you can't take anything that Ron Dennis says at face value. It's Ron Dennis. But just because you have a works team that's not performing as well as its customer team, it doesn't factor in a whole bunch of other pieces. Not the least of which is Renault hasn't been in the chassis making business until recently. They are... They are behind that curve, and I think that it's the catching up there. Um, I, I still, I still go back. back to I would have, I would have been more satisfied if they were closer. I would love and it if not. they were closer, but they're not because that's how much the arrow difference is between those two cars. Yeah. Um, speaking of midfield, yes, Williams. Well. Not all of Williams. Uh, Felipe Massa had a decent race. Actually, they said he had a really good race. He he, he had a pretty good race. Um, Force India, like we mentioned, was was targeting fourth after they realized that third was, was out of reach. Sergio Perez thinks that, uh, yeah, fourth may be out of reach. Also, he does not think right now that they can catch the Williams. Really? No. Where I think they might have a fighting chance, though. Because you're about to be down on Lance Stroll. I, I'm not going to fully go down on Lance Stroll just yet. Oh, that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fully go after Lance Stroll just yet. But all I am going to say is, in order for Williams to have a good chance of holding off those, um, the Force Indias or pretty much anybody else, through the remainder of the season, they need not one but both cars to be in the points. Right. You and can't that's going to be it. a huge weakness. You cannot do it with a single car team. So that that's that's all I'm going to say on that right now. So let's talk a little about Red Bull. Red Bull had a bad – actually, you know who really had a bad weekend? Poor Ricardo. Yeah, Daniel Ricardo ha- had a really bad weekend, which – it seems to be just a thing with Australians in Australia. Well, yeah. I mean, Weber never won Australia. Mark Weber, actually, he, in, in in some respect, this weekend, he, he kind of took the, pl- the blame a little bit. Um, he kind of theorizes that maybe he used up all the Australian racing drivers' uh, luck in Australia when he managed to drive a minority to fifth in Melbourne. <laughs> you think that that was it? That's the be- that yeah. That's the best an Aussie can do yeah. in Australia. I mean, we did have what was it, twenty fifteen, where Daniel ended up on the podium and then had it taken away from him because Red Bull was being dumb. Right. But other than that, yeah, it wasn't really good. And this time, Daniel barely started the race, and it didn't end well. Well, he started two laps down because he didn't make it to the the grid on the formation lap. Um, so he started after they tried to piece it back together again, and then he never finished. Yeah. The truth is, beyond the problems with the car, he went into this weekend 
absolutely exhausted. He did. And I think that's a function of Daniel being Daniel. Right. Because I don't think other drivers do the press runs the week of their home Grand Prix the way he did this year. Well, there was a lot of talk on the BBC and several other uh, media outlets over, I think it was the Thursday, it was either the Wednesday or the Thursday uh, before the race weekend, that he did 18 hours in one day of PR events. That was the Wednesday before the weekend started. Yeah. That Daniel is the kind of person, he, he knows... He he's he knows he's popular with the fans. He likes interacting with the fans. He he want he he wants that good relationship with the fans, and he pretty much doesn't turn down anything that comes his way. And that and that's a struggle for him. Now, one of the other things that was pointed out was, you know, eighteen hours of press and hour sixteen seventeen. He's he did an event with. Um, don't remember who it was i think it was a couple of the australian broadcasters and they said you'd never know he'd been on the go for the last 18 hours he was still just as happy and just as smiley and just as energetic and just as personable as any other time you run into him but just because he can hold it together for that doesn't mean that he's not abjectly exhausted. There's that. There's also the fact that for all the time that a driver spends doing those activities, that's time that they're not doing training, that they're not doing engineering briefs, that they're not doing all of the other prep work for the event that every other driver is doing. Exactly. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily an issue this weekend, well, as for Sunday, I don't think it was it was really an issue. It may have been for Saturday for qualifying. I don't think we'll ever know for sure what the effect might be, but I'm pretty sure that we'll see a lot more of Daniel doing prep work with the team, and hopefully his people will start to protect him better for future years in Australia. He is ridiculously popular, but he doesn't have to be ridiculously popular the Wednesday before the race. I don't know. I, I don't know if Daniel would change. In, in some respects, I kind of view this as uh, giving criticizing Lewis for his extracurricular activities. But Lewis put it on pole and can win races after his extracurricular activities. But as but long given as he's what happened winning, on, you don't complain. But but given what happened on Sunday, I don't know if you can tie that into all of the other things that happened during the week because that was those were mechanical issues. He wasn't in control of them. If he just went out and he finished the race and he had a, a, a crummy race and ended up in eighth and, and, and struggled, sure. Yeah, I get th- I get what you're trying to say, but I think it's still a factor. I think it's still a factor in he was not in the car as much or talking to the team as much, not doing some of the prep work as much. Could any of those mechanical pieces been thwarted because he would have been around the garage as opposed to on a press junket? And you won't know the answer to that. We won't. But as for the team itself and performance over the weekend, um, Max qualified in fifth. Mm-hmm. He, he qualified a bit stronger than Daniel did. Uh, but he was still 
1.297 seconds off pole, um, ended up in fifth at the end of the race, uh, and was 28.827 seconds off the lead. Um, Helmet Marco says that there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, things are not where they need it to be. The engine is not printing out the power that they want to. Now, he's not beating up on Renault yet. Right. Um, because they do believe that some of this is an aero issue. Um, they are expecting an upgrade at the Spanish Grand Prix in May, and I think that's the one where they, they're going to get the, the redesigned ERS unit. Right. But and that was the other piece, is that they're using last year's uh, ERS unit. And when they have to mesh together multiple— Or MGUK, years, I'm sorry. Whichever piece of that. Some set of letters unit. They had to use <laughs> last year's version. And when you slap last year's on this year's and have a year mismatch like that, it causes problems. It, it certainly can. Um, but they're saying that the real big step for this engine performance-wise, they're expecting that in Montreal. Oh, wow. That'll yeah. be a bit. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, they also deny, and it's, I, I'm not sure I completely agree with it, but they also deny that the changes that they had to make to the suspension system in the preseason uh, had any impact on their form. I don't know. Okay. It's hard, it, that, that's one of those things that's really hard to know, but they claim that even though this change happened as late as it did, that didn't have an impact. So let's talk Lewis and Ferrari and Mercedes <laughs> and Sebastian Vettel. Okay. So the big debate that I have heard this week, and this is something that, that I think I want to hear everybody's thoughts on one way or the other, is did Ferrari win this race or did Mercedes lose the race? And what the argument is, and, and the question is, is truly did was it Ferrari's pace that truly managed to win or was it a strategy decision on Mercedes knowing that this is Albert Park and Albert Park traditionally is a difficult tr uh, race for passing because it's a narrower track um, and it doesn't necessarily have the layouts that, that support it combined with the fact that you have wider cars. Mm -hmm. You have a Mercedes who you have Lewis who had the track position. He was in the lead, knowing all of this stuff, and Mercedes pitted him early, thereby yielding that track position to Sebastian Vettel. And also because they weren't watching, pinning him behind other cars. I think that I've gone back and forth as I've thought this one through. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, I think that they pitted Lewis too early. I think they made an error. But by the same token, I think that they made the error because they had unusual amounts of pressure from a Ferrari that they have not had before. And I think that that means that Ferrari's pace is growing and is, is challenging them. And that they've got an actual real fight on their hands this year, which they haven't had for a couple of years. True. And I think that we're going to see more decisions being made in the strategy of that versus 
having the Mercedes automatically get one too? Well, I've got a couple of thoughts here. I I think definitely they made a strategy error. Mm -hmm. Um, They made a strategy error. I I don't necessarily know if they pitted too early. And, And the only reason why I say that is because Lewis was complaining about the tires. And there was some concern about the grip levels. He was expressing concern. There was some concern there. Where I think they truly screwed up was to end up putting Lewis in a situation that when they pitted him, he ended up behind Verstappen. And we ended up having to hear this call. So you are still safe to Vettel. We need to get past Verstappen. I don't know how you expect to do that right now. And that's where I think the problem was. They, because of when they pitted him, they put him in that position where he was stuck behind the Red Bull. And granted... The Mercedes is a faster car, but with passing being what it is like at that track and the fact that they had the track position, they knew where they, they knew the whole time where Verstappen was. And they they should have known how because you, you know what that that uh, time difference is when you have to, to pit, they should have been able to calculate that out and known exactly where he was gonna come out. I agree with you. I think that that was part of the error. Um, I have to tell you, I thought Lewis was hyper complaining this this uh, past race. He was a bit. Um, and I thought I had remembered that when Mercedes examined the tires, they realized that there was a lot more left in them than what he was reporting. Now, yes, they have to listen to their driver. Yeah. But if he's not going to get, if you know, if he's off in what he's giving his feedback, that's not helpful either. I think that he lost the race when he got pinned behind Verstappen. I think that is 100% the truth. And I think that he lost a lot of grip having to battle with being behind Verstappen because he basically got stuck there until Verstappen pitted. Yeah. Now, the issue that I have is that in this new pseudo era of Formula One where we've got these wider cars that are faster and more aero-dependent, we're going to get passes that happen in the pit lane and not on the track. Exactly. And that's the concern. Now is Melbourne, which is classically a harder track to pass in because it's narrow. Is that going to be the tone of the entire season? I don't know yet, but I'm going to tell you that it's going to be a very dull season if we don't see some passing. Yeah. Um, now I, we, we've said all that, that, you know, we, we think Mercedes' strategy call was wrong. I've got to say, I don't. I, I still don't think that Mercedes lost it because of that strategy call. I mean, it, it didn't help them. The reality is the Ferrari had the pace. Sebastian Vettel spent that first entire first stint around a second to a second and a half behind Lewis, and Lewis could not get away from him. Well, and that's that's the reality is I don't think that anybody was ready for... I mean, Lewis got a beautiful start off the line. you mm-hmm. got to give him credit for that, and Vettel didn't. And I don't think anybody was ready for an extended period of time that there was red in Lewis's windows. I think that that caused pressure that has been, up to this point, unseen at Mercedes in this new era. The, the other thing is, once Lewis finally got past Verstappen, he pretty much stayed 10 seconds behind Seb the rest of the race. 
He didn't gain anything else on them. I would have expected that if the Mercedes truly had the faster space, we, we would have seen that number tick down. He had 30 laps, 40 laps to play with there. I would have expected that number to slowly tick down as we got deeper into the race, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, he was complaining that there were other things that were going on that was keeping him further back. But like I said, he was hyper-complaining, too. Yeah. Anyway, it's the first race of the season. I'm sure that all of the pundits of the season will now start, you know, all of a sudden Vettel will become the favored child and it will be all Vettel. Now, keep in mind, only three world champions have ever won without winning the first race in Melbourne. Yeah. So when we start talking statistics, um, it's unlikely that Lewis will win the championship based on that one number. Now, keep in mind, last season, because we had the extra race, up until that point, there had not been a world champion that had not won. There was not been someone that had won nine races that did not become world champion. True. And that was Lewis last year. So everything's up in the air with these extra races. Well, speaking of Lewis, and this is one of those moves that, that I got a kind of question. So word came out this week that Lewis has decided that he's going to go through the season without a personal trainer. He has placed himself in charge of his physical conditioning completely and totally. Okay. What what he says, and the reason why he's he he views this decision to take over his own physical fitness program as a kind of challenge he has set for himself. He says, "Can you have the motivation to do it yourself and get ready and tone up, and not having a trainer and be ready?" I have. I I just this is something that. Why would you not want to have a trainer? I think there's something else at play here. Do you follow Lewis on Instagram? I believe it was his no, Instagram. No, because I, I don't use Instagram. So yesterday, as okay. we are recording, I have a theory that his lack of personal trainer is part of preparatory austerity spending because he announced on Instagram yesterday that he was retiring effective immediately. Yeah, okay. It was April 1st yesterday. Yeah. But he did announce that. No, I, what I'm betting is that more that this was a difference of opinion in terms of training regimes and possibly a trainer who said, you know, Lewis, if you really want to win, you need to train more and do some of this other partying that you do less. And Lewis said, it's worked for me all these years. I'm going to keep living my life the way I want to live. And one or the two said, well, okay, fine. If you're going to be that way, I'm out of here. I bet that's definitely much more the truth. Although I like my austerity spending plan. Yeah, I, I don't think so. So regardless of Lewis's training regimen, Mercedes has come out and said the car is too heavy. Really? Yes. They they admit that they need to reduce weight of the car. 
Um, it, it is apparently heavier than what they had set as the weight limit, and as a result, they cannot place ballast the way they want to place it. So they are looking for ways to um, lower the weight of the car so that they can distribute the ballast the way they want to distribute it. So they're going to start with uh, removing Lewis's ego, right? They might try. I mean, that would definitely be a weight reduction technique. It, it, it does potentially overflow the car. Yes. So what you've already mentioned your opinion on passing. Yes. You're not particularly thrilled and, and that probably this wasn't a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know let's, let's leave the tracks the same size but make the cars wider and more aerodependent and and yet what did the fans ask for we asked for more passing on the track and so what they did was the rules that they changed it gave us exactly the opposite of what we asked for well yes and no according to the FIA we also asked for louder cars, mm -hmm. which we kind of have. They're, they're not much louder, but they're a little louder. We asked for better-looking cars, which we had, depending on what your thoughts of the, the, uh, the tail thin are. Well, we have more aggressive-looking cars. The FIA also said we wanted faster cars, which I didn't think we wanted, but apparently we want faster cars. So they gave us that, although it does not look like, and, and this is the question, another question for China, it does not look like we got the full four seconds faster or five seconds faster. It was more like a second and a half, but we got faster cars. Jean Todd talked a little more about the overtaking situation. Um, what he has said is that overtaking has always been a problem in motor racing. I remember races 20 or 30 years ago when a car with fresh tires that was three or four seconds quicker could not pass a car with old tires because overtaking was difficult. Clearly, we can figure out that overtaking will be even more difficult this year. Really? You just finally figured that out. We've been telling you that for two years. Mm -hmm. But we have tried to find ways to make overtaking easier with DRS and other technologies. Maybe the new regulations will make overtaking more difficult, but maybe it was the price to pay for wider cars with more aerodynamics. The FIA is set to reconsider the length of DRS zones after the Chinese G GP when it has a better idea about just how difficult overtaking is. Now, Jean Todd also suggested that longer term, F1 may need to rethink its aerodynamic concept to ensure that future cars can follow each other more more closely. He says it's something that we need to address when we're going to speak about future regulations and whether it's a good compromise. But I want to go back to the he felt that this was the price this was a price that was worth paying. It was worth it to have the wider cars to make the racing worse? Seriously? What planet is he on? Not ours. That's the thing. And this is this goes back to a conversation that you and I have had more times than I can count. It may become like, you know, one of those staple conversations of the podcast. They say they want to give the fans the show that the fans ask for. And we freely admit that I don't believe the fans know what they want, nor do I believe that they are in the best position to ask for what they think they want. Because we want louder cars, we want faster cars, we want more passing, and some of those things are diametrically opposite. 
But who, who do you ask? Do you ask the drivers? Because let's also look at the impact that the drivers had on this past weekend. The drivers said that they didn't like having to do uh, fuel conservation. Mm -hmm. They didn't like having to manage tires. They wanted tires that were harder, that they could push more, and they wanted cars that were more physically demanding. And they got that. They got tires that they could push much harder on. And as a result, what changed? Right. We, we went back to and, – and, again, this was another thing that we knew was going to happen because we've seen it happen at least twice in Sochi where the tires were so hard the drivers could push as much as they wanted and there was only a single pit and everybody looked around and went, wow, this is really kind of boring. Mm-hmm. It's it's a definite case of be careful what you ask for. It is. I mean, yeah. that's the way I feel about the whole thing. But Jean Todd went on a little more. Okay. Um, and this was in the lead up this past Friday. Uh, the various teams and engine manufacturers and some what have been phrased as disinterested engine parties. Interesting. As in, these are folks that we'd like to come in and build engines but are not currently doing so, i.e. Volkswagen, yes. uh, had a meeting to discuss the future direction because these engines are only supposed to be in place until 2020, like a lot of things right. in Formula One. Um, so going into it, Jean Todd provided some, some philosophy of where he wanted to push the sport to go. What he said was that basically Formula One is too complex – too expensive, which, okay, yeah, I can buy that, and too reliable. <laughs> now, let's remember, in an effort to reduce costs, the decision was made to restrict the number of engines and other components that the teams could change out during a season. Again, to restrict costs and make them more reliable. I know. Because they had to last... So that we could reduce costs because it was too expensive. I mean, <laughs> it, it's like we make decisions based on whatever's bothering us today without regard to the previous decision of what yesterday's problem was. Well, that's um, Ross Braun's big argument. His big complaint is that when Formula One goes and makes these changes, their knee-jerk reactions that are to address the issue right this second and that they never take into account the long-term ramifications of anything that they do. Well, and yet again, we think Ross Braun is kind of smart. Yeah. Now, with this meeting that all these people had um, – with John Todd about the new engines that possibly can be coming in 2021 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Somebody made the mistake, and I will preface this with mistake, of shoving a microphone in Max Verstappen's nose. Yeah, I saw that. So I, I guess. I was kind of ignoring it. Yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> I guess one of the concerns is because Formula One really does try to become road relevant. Mm -hmm. Um the question is that since hybrids and full electrics are becoming the wave of the automobile world future, mm -hmm. what does Max think of this? And Max's answer, being all of 18 and oh so not very wise, he said that he would like to see Formula One return to the V8 era. 
actually, he even went so oh, far as to tens. say he wants the tens back. He wants the tens. I'm sorry. The tens was what he wanted back. And that he was hoping that they would at least stay with a petrol engine for the next 15 years because that's about when he's thinking he'll get out of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. That would actually be something that you're talking about fuel that that I would I think would be kind of cool to see relaxed. Set the requirement that your engine needs to fit within these general dimensions and produce this level of power. Right. And then turn around and say, build what you want. Mm -hmm. If you want to go with a V6 turbo hybrid, go for it. You want to make it a V12, go for it. You want it to run in diesel, knock yourself out. <laughs> We know diesel can win races. Go look at Audi. Yeah. That, that's what I would really like to see from the engine regulations is meet these general specifications. Get there however the hell you want. That, I think, could be kind of interesting. What they have come out to and, and come out with, and, and this is just, you know, tentative frameworks, no full agreement, is that they want engines that will be uh, higher power levels with better sound uh, in order to follow a desire to allow drivers to drive harder at all times. But they also want the, the engines to become simpler, cheaper to develop, and have road relevancy. Mm -hmm. Now, how you square all those circles, I don't know, <laughs> especially when there is you know more effort being done to bring hybrids into mainstream automobiles. Uh, most cars today are V6s with turbos of some sort. So I don't know how that's going to shake out, but that is tentatively what they're saying. So nothing firm yet, and we're still a couple of years. But again, 2020, they, they need to make some decisions kind of soon if there's a major engineering effort required. True, true. People are going to need to start getting ahead of that. All right, so I need to make a left turn in our little conversation about Formula One. Okay. Well, I know that there have been some notable women uh, in the peripheral of F1, and there's always that underlying comment of when will we have a woman return to Formula One, and it's been something like 40 years. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if you heard this week, but there is actually coming up a bright star um, who is a karting champion in her own right. Um, not because she's a woman, but she's good. Um, she's coming from Spain. Her name is Marta Garcia. And she is signed on to do Formula 4 on, I believe it's one of the, it's a smaller circuit mm -hmm. concept. Formula 4 is very regionalized. And so yeah. she participated in 11 races last year, which is not the full season. Um, but it was the first time she'd gotten behind the car, behind the wheel of a car. She was a karting champ. She won the same karting championship that Lewis Hamilton won. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, fast forward. Um, Ferrari pulled her into Marinello for a young driver's event, and it looks like she just signed on with Renault for their young driver program and is looking to be a very promising young driver coming up who happens to be female. Well, 
while I am hopeful that we see something and that she is more than just the female flavor of the week for the press for this kind of stuff, hearing that she signed for Renault, mm-hmm. knowing Renault's history, whatever happened to Carmen Jorda? <laughs> just throwing that out there. I, I, she may be very promising, and in, in reality, it is entirely 100% possible that a compar- comparing this woman to Carmen Jorda is incredibly unfair. However, look at Renault's ability for spotting talent. Well, okay, let's go with that for a moment. Um, I will tell you that I did find very interesting. She's She actually is a very good interview. She was a really great article if you want to look it up. Um she was actually very interesting. She's young. She's mm-hmm. really young. She's about uh, 16 or 17 years old, um, which puts her in that right spot. She's in the age group. She's in the thing. She's a touch behind if you think about, you know, some of our drivers at the and pace of our drivers today, I mean, they were already in, in, moving into GP2 at that point. But she is, she's not well-funded. She's, mm-hmm. she, I mean, she only did 11 races in yeah. F4 because that was all they could afford to do. She is better funded now. She's still working on some of those funding pieces. But one of the things that she said, as a, as a Spaniard, she was a big uh, Fernando Alonso fan for a while. But she has discovered through the karting that she really admires Max a whole lot more these days. Um, and has been following Max's trajectory, um, which I found a little interesting. Um, they did talk about some other female drivers um, as to where they're falling. There were some other hopefuls that have been coming up through the F4 um, and some of the GP3 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they've been you know hot items up until that point. But once they start to get to that level, they're not winning. And they're not placing high enough to get the notice. Yeah. And they're starting to see that that's, that's where the, the current – uh, horizon is so instead of trying to look at who's going to be the next one in Formula One, we got to start looking at who's going to be the next one coming. Into like you got to make a tr- you, you got to make a true ladder. Although it's it's not GP three and GP two, it's now Formula Two. Because right. remember, GP two doesn't exist anymore. Right, and I didn't say GP two. I said GP three, um, which is what they're looking at. But she's got some promise. She definitely has some promise. Um, they signed two. There was a gentleman that they signed also, but um, definitely uh, Marta has got much more cachet right now because she's a woman. But well, it'll be interesting to follow and see what happens as we watch women making a difference. Well, you know who was an Italian Formula Four champion back in 2014 while they were in the Ferrari Junior Driver Program? Lance Stroll. He was also, he wants us all to remember that he also was last year's Formula 3 European champion. And as a result of this, he says, I deserve to be here. And all this criticism that I have been getting, it's because all you haters, you're all jealous. You're jealous that I'm here and you're not. And I say... No, Lance, I criticize you not because I'm jealous that you're there, but because you keep putting the car into a wall and you haven't finished your you didn't finish your first race and you've been pretty underwhelming out there. That's why I criticize you. 
you've just chalked this up to another episode of how he is Maldonado-like. And there we go. The circle of life is now complete. You so <laughs> want him to be Maldonado. It is not funny. And, you know, yeah, I may want him to, to do that. He's working pretty hard to live up to that reputation. We'll see what happens in China. Now, yes, we'll look forward to China. Do you think that we will have, because you didn't get a chance to use your other great clip, do you think we will have questions about fastest lap next time in China? Um, I think we will. And, and, and the, the quote that you're, you're asking about is this one. How much faster is the fastest lap? Too fast. That was Max Verstappen, one of the many who were trying to set fastest lap in Australia. Because, well, actually, he was just looking for fastest lap of the race as opposed to trap, track records. Right. Which should very much be within, as we saw this past weekend, should very much be within reach. Well, yes, um, breaking track records probably across the season will be the story of the season. But Max, there's cachet to having the purple lap for the entire race. Mm -hmm. And since there was no chance that Max was getting on a podium, being able to pull out fastest lap is something that Max loved to do last year. So I think that's what he was asking about is, you know, how much further do I have to push to see if I can't get that purple lap? The, the the last thing that I'll mention from the weekend mm -hmm. is, if you'll recall, last year, overall, fastest pit stops fell almost exclusively. I think there were maybe three races where it went to a different team, but went almost exclusively to Williams. Correct. Once again in Australia, fastest pit stop went to Williams. Go Williams. Um, now Which is amazing, considering 2015 they had so many bad pit stops. I think they really practiced. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, we do have a little bit of housekeeping before we call it a show. Mm -hmm. um, there will not be a show next weekend. No, there will not. We will be one person down as you go back off on one of your excursions. That's me. I go excursioning. <laughs> um, so I will be far, far away, and um, I will be watching China in spirit with the rest of you. So we'll come back together mid-month in time to celebrate both Tax Day and um, a recap of the Chinese Grand Prix. But other than that, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to know what, what were your thoughts on this past weekend? Was this truly a Ferrari win? Was it a Mercedes loss? Was it something in between? Um, was this really Fernando Alonso's best ever race? <laughs> <laughs> Leave us a comment either, uh, you know, over in, on the show notes at www.theblokeandabird.com or over on Facebook, on our Facebook page. But uh, with that, We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.